Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to From Lab to Launch by Qualio. I'm your host, Meg from Qualio. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we jump in, we'd love it if you've rated the podcast and shared it with any of your science nerd friends. We know you have some. If you'd like to be on the show, please fill out the application linked in the show notes. We're grateful for all the interest we've had lately. Okay, so today we have Dr. Phil Wagner with us. Phil is the CEO and founder of Sparta Science, a movement health intelligence company dedicated to helping the world move better. Some have called his work the future of sports or Moneyball for injuries. You may not know this, but musculoskeletal issues are by far the most diagnosed in, the, in, in America, yet get a fraction of our healthcare budget. This is exactly what Phil and his team are working on, how to optimize human movement and injury risk mitigation. Any of us who have been to physical therapy, for example, can learn something new today. So let's bring Phil in. Welcome for- to From Lab to Launch. We're glad to have you here, Phil. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Meg. Great. To get us started, would you like to tell us a little bit more about your background and how Sparta Science got started? Sure. Yeah. So Sparta got started. Uh, I was a, an athlete and, and injured in, in many different areas um, by different means playing sports. And, uh, you know, was pretty diligent about the rehab and continued to get injured. It was really uh, frustrated because wanted to be part of a team and, you know, really wanted more information on why it was happening. You know, was there something I could be doing differently or, you know, was it just, you know, fate that I had to accept and, and ultimately, you know, started Sparta to identify a, a movement vital sign, if you will. And that's where it started to try to identify, you know, how, how do you move compared to others and what risks might exist? And, you know, it's, it's kind of evolved now into a more of a data platform of, okay, how can we take in, you know, certainly movement screens that we're doing, but also wearables and all this other information that's out there, all with this idea of helping people identify, you know, how to move with, without pain uh, and without fear. What is the current state of movement health today? Yeah, I think the current state is there's just a lot of data that's out there, a lot of sensors, a lot of information, and, and certainly a lot of um, fads and hype of what's the best thing to do. Um, and ultimately, I think we have to look deeper and we're just starting to scratch the surface uh, at an individual level of what people actually need uh, because there is so much variability uh, with humans. Why do you think this is such an urgent problem for today in our world? Yeah, the thing that excites us about movement is it it really underlies every human condition as a cause or as a result. Um, an example, you know, the easy one being is, you know, you're an athlete and you tear your ACL, right? That's a, an issue and you're more likely to have that issue again. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, is you have cardiovascular issues, you, you stop moving, right? And, and that has also just reinforces this problem of obesity and other metabolic diseases. So it can be on both sides of the coin as a cause and a result. And I think that, that size of a problem is really exciting for us to try to help solve. That is exciting. Um, what does that big data and machine learning look like in health performance? Yeah, I think 
you know, the big key is that there is so much variability uh, with humans. And, and so basing it off small studies or, you know, small groups um, just isn't enough. And so being able to capture a lot of different information, store it, and ultimately start building what's called clusters or groupings um, based on, you know, both injury and performance needs. That's where, you know, the data science techniques become really important because you have to gather and store a lot of information, but then you actually have to start building models to segment people um, according to what they need. But then you've got a second problem of once those people start doing things that they need, they're going to respond differently. You know, so how are you also tracking that and monitoring that over time? Wow, that's really exciting. Um why do you think technology or treatments that maybe have worked in research kind of fail in the real life and how yeah. can they be applied better maybe? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, research is limited by how many subjects you can recruit to be in the study. And then you've got subjects dropping out and the, the duration of the study is, is limited, you know? And so I think one of the things we've seen is, you know, with wearables and, and other sensor and, and new data, um, you know, it kind of opens up in, in a more open source fashion, you know, all this type of information. I mean, Apple's running cardiovascular studies on 30,000 people, right? And, and your, your typical lab study doesn't have that kind of scale uh, to access that many people. Um, so I think that's really kind of the opportunity that we're able to see that, you know, traditional research, at least in a clinical lab setting, isn't able to accommodate um, but it is kind of the building block of, you know, what metrics and, you know, can be looked at at more scale. Fascinating. Yeah. Like that at scale and that larger reach, it seems mm. like it's going to have a bigger impact faster. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, I think the similarities when we talk about movement and exercise, it's very similar to pharmaceuticals, you know, and that prescriptions don't work 100% of the time. You have to do these large-scale studies to see, okay, how does the drugs impact people? And then how does it change over time? There's, you know, tolerance that develops, right? And you've got to change medications and add medications, delete medications, and, and movement and exercise is no different. Interesting. And someone argue that injuries are inevitable in our life, but how can a typical person mitigate injury risk or even predict it? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a contentious term injury prevention, you know, in the in the strict sense, no one really can prevent injuries. I mean, at least, you know, if, if you just lay in bed all day and don't move, you know, you're probably okay in the short term. Um, but yeah, it's injury prevention is is probably an unachievable goal, but injury mitigation, you use that word, is is probably more realistic injury reduction. You know, and I think we talk about prediction a lot of times it all comes down to the definition of the terms. Um, people think prediction means guarantee, um, but prediction is, you know, more of an odds game. You know, right? We just talked about thunderstorms rolling in, and it was a clear day this morning, okay. right? You know, the weather prediction may have been a clear day, but thunderstorms can roll in, right? So the odds of it were low, but it still happened. And the same thing with injuries, you know, and predictions the same way. It's, hey, here are the odds, the best chance to reduce that risk, but it's not a guarantee. You know, all we're trying to do is work towards, you know, the best options that can, you know, 
identify that risk from happening. Yeah, I, my dad is a longtime marathon runner mm. and a uh, longtime runner. And even since I was a kid, has a very specific gait from all his running. So the conversation really resonates with me and like how much this could have informed his whole running career and how much he could maybe move better. Um, you know, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah. And even now, right? If let's say he's 60, 70 years old, you can't say, okay, a 70-year-old male needs this because one 70-year-old male has a history of marathon running. The mm -hmm. other may not, right? So they're going to respond very differently to their needs. Yeah. Um, what has surprised you or what obstacles have you faced um, from your research going from the lab or maybe the field in this case um, for Sparta Science and your patients and your patents? Yeah, I think the, you know, one of the challenges is change is hard. Um, particularly in risk-averse industries like healthcare, right? You know, it's it's so change is scary, right? And and certainly from a practitioner standpoint, we're trained as physicians to do no harm, right? So there's also has to be a built-in conservativeness, you know, as you go about your job. So, you know, I think it's a tricky balance. That's, you know, how do you how do you be both, um, you know, promoting health but also promoting innovation. Like we can't always do the same things. Um, so we're going to fail, you know, but we have to be comfortable with that failing at a safe and acceptable level. So I think the surprise has been, you know, that people opt more than not to just try to keep the status quo, you know, but, you know, the reality is the world and humans and all of us are constantly changing and that therefore we have to change uh, the approach, the strategy, the tactics along with it. Yeah, I think that's great advice for anyone, you know, wanting to be a disruptor out there in the healthcare field. Like, yeah, lean into the change. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite quotes is that innovation isn't about invention. It's about adoption, you know, because coming up with the right idea and a great tool, that's actually far easier than getting the adoption, at least at scale of that tool or that system. Yeah, so true. Um. Can you tell us a little about, about your recent contract with the U.S. Air Force? I'm sure several of our founder listeners would be interested in how you approached your go-to-market strategy um, in distributing to the government and working with the government. Yeah, the government um, certainly provides a, a great scalable approach to human beings and, and is, is reflective really of the general population as a whole. People are coming from all over the country, different health backgrounds. Um, different educational backgrounds, socioeconomic. So it really is a nice kind of microcosm of the society. And so approaching that is, uh, has been helpful for us because there's also a lot of different problems. One of the problems in research we're doing is around traumatic brain injury. Um, and how does that affect, you know, how you move? Because there's a lot of research showing that if you have a concussion, you're actually more at risk for a musculoskeletal injury. On the flip side, when you tear your ACL, you actually damage a part of your brain. So there are these interlocking pieces behind the brain and the body. And so that research we're doing with the Air Force around traumatic brain injuries is, you know, pretty, pretty exciting for us. You know, on the other end, our recent contract, one of the more recent ones is around postpartum, right? And so how do we help, you know, individuals move better after childbirth, right? 
because there's, there's obviously some trauma that occurs there and, you know, people want to get back to their job and how do you do that safely and effectively? And so there's so many opportunities uh, that through this Air Force research funded program that allows us to you know, make discoveries that really apply to the whole population. It applies to me. I had struggles <laughs> after my last pregnancy, after yeah. I went to physical therapy after my last pregnancy. So that resonates with me there as well. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Amazing. It seems very applicable to almost everyone, your research. So yes. yeah, we all move. Exciting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Great. Um, so switching gears a little bit back to you, what advice or lesson would you share with a friend who is starting a company in life sciences today? Yeah, I think it, uh, I think the the biggest advice I have is is you know there's got to be a pretty strong level of commitment and conviction um, because you know healthcare does not move quickly and there's a lot of different layers stakeholders right everything from practitioners all the way up to business executives and they each have their own perspectives and goals within those areas and how do you coalesce those together. Um, towards a towards a common goal, um, so you know I think there's two routes. There's the consumer route, and then there's the B two B or the business route. You know, and so the business route that we've taken, by nature, has a lot of different stakeholders that have to be involved in the decision. It's not just one stakeholder, and so there has to be a thoughtful, layered approach about how you talk to each one because they have different needs, desires perspectives, right? So being aware, kind of eyes open going into it, you know, choosing between that consumer or the business route, they, they both have challenges. The business route is the complexities of an organization. You know, the challenge of the consumer route is there's a an entertainment or a fad piece, if you will. And you've, you've obviously got to defend yourself against the shiny new thing, you know, on the consumer side of things. Perfect. That's great advice. Knowing your audience is great yes. advice. Yes. Um, if you could go back to the start of your career and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think it actually would be pretty similar to the advice I give somebody. It's, it's going in knowing that, you know, if you're choosing this, this B2B business route within healthcare innovation, that there has to be a wide awareness that everybody doesn't want to hear the same thing, even within the same organization. And a lot of times you're, you're, you're the counselor sometimes between those of like, hey, this is what this group said. This is what this group said. You know, we can solve problems with the same approach and, and they're not at odds, right? And so how can we, you know, I, I would be telling myself to be patient but also be aware that um, there's not going to be a singular message for each organization. Yeah. Tailored yes. communication. I like that. I like that. Um, and then thinking about your athletic career, knowing what you know now about movement, what would you think you'd do different about your athletic career? Maybe. Yeah, it certainly would be lifting less heavy. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I was an athlete, more of a competing athlete 20, 30 years ago, I think, a lot of a lot of the numbers were just weights, right? Or running times, right? So if if the measure of movement was weight, right, well then we should be more. lifting more weight, right? More, right? Or if it's running time, you should be running faster. Faster. Right? Yeah. Always faster, right? 
but the body is not this, you know, uh, piece of uh, material that doesn't have a breaking point, right? There's, there's ultimately a breaking point mentally as well as physically. And so introducing qualitative measures that are also numerical um, is, is an important piece that I would, you know, have taught myself earlier, you know, because moving more weight, running faster doesn't mean you're moving better. What it means is you're moving more weight or you're running faster. And so having that kind of perspective, I think would have been uh, a lot less painful physically having known that. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm forty five years old and I'm getting a hip replacement, right? So that that can't be a like, you know, that's a sign of, you know, how much wear and tear goes on when you're chasing singular things that are purely quantitative. Yeah, been avoiding one of those myself, so that's um, why so I'm happy to be talking to you today. <laughs> um, and for our last question, um, is more of a fun one we like to ask our guests. If we ran into the at the bookstore, like Barnes and Noble, in which section would we find you? Yeah, I think most of the books I read are, are audio tapes at this point, uh, just because you know getting up and moving around, you know, and walking has been been great. To think most of the most of the books that I listen to and and would read are 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 more around soft skills, um, you know, leadership, you know, being one or or you know, relationships um, and productivity hacks, you know, how can, how can I basically be more productive so I can have more time, you know, with friends, with family, you know, and, and not be, you know, continuing to try to fill the day with things that are just purely work-related. Well, I will be coming to you for productivity hacks and how to uh, lengthen my ski season and ski career um, yeah. so that I can stay healthy and maximize on all my ski days here in Colorado. Um, so thanks, Phil. Um, so thank you so much again for joining us here at Lab to Launch by Qualio. Where can our listeners go to follow along and connect with you and learn more about Sparta Sciences? Yeah, probably the best place is our website, spartascience.com. And we have all sorts of resources on there, blog and and. Uh, other learning areas where folks can kind of learn how movement health relates to their overall quality of life. Terrific. We'll get all that resources in the show notes for our listeners. Thanks so much, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.